Welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast, a podcast created to champion church multiplication, provide learning, and inspire new disciple-making communities across Canada. Hey, podcast family. Thanks for jumping on the podcast today. Hope you are so well. And wherever you are right now in Canada or around the world, that you have less snow than Edmonton. That's my prayer for you today. I'm really excited about our guest today. Actually, I'm excited about all of our guests. And maybe you're tired of hearing me say that, but I love getting to do this podcast because I talk to incredible leaders from all over Canada. And Andrew Hansen is no different. He and his team are starting a new ministry to high-risk teens here in Edmonton, Alberta called Youth Rise and is very passionate about seeing ministry to the margins. And one of those margins, obviously, is high-risk teens. If you've got a heart for mission, if you've got a heart for the next generation, you are going to love this interview. Stick around because it's coming up right now. Very excited for today's podcast with a friend of mine, uh, the, execu- the executive director of Youth Rise, Andrew Hansen. Welcome to the Multiply Network podcast. Thank you for having me, Paul. It's so great to have you and just journey with you over these last number of years. And you've got a great story to tell, but we want to focus in more on this new ministry that you're starting and it's called Youth Rise. So why don't you tell us how you got there to uh, want to start this great ministry in Edmonton, Alberta, and what is Youth Rise? Absolutely. So, yeah, Youth Rise, I guess it was a culmination of a few years that led me to this point. But I finished Bible college, finished seminary, went right into local church ministry and at a church called Millwood's Assembly, which is now known as Hope City. Yep. And yeah, just like loved it. I loved every bit of working with young people and working with families and you know, discipleship, all of that stuff. It was like such a, it was like my dream job, really. Yeah. Um, but I think that over the course of my time there, um, as I was, you know, engaging and, and doing what I was doing, I started to kind of, I would, I would call it like be haunted by maybe a few things that I saw in our community. Yeah. And so, yeah, the community of Millwoods is kind of middle class, some, some pockets lower middle class. And so I'd be like driving and seeing a whole bunch of kids, like these kids that I mean, in their world, they, did, they didn't have a clue, number mm-hmm. one, that we were running a youth group on a Friday night. We could get tons of kids out and have like this great service. But it was always haunting for me that there's these kids out there. They have no clue and they don't know their left hand from their right hand spiritually. Right. And so, yeah, that kind of started to haunt me. It kind of all, I guess God was unsettling me maybe a little bit in yeah. my role. Um, and it kind of came to a head when we had done a bit of outreach to the community. We were doing some drop-ins and kids were coming and engaging in church, which was really cool. Yeah. But there's this one kid that I drove home every, uh, every Friday night or not every Friday night, but once in a while. Yep. And, uh, I remember dropping this kid off. He was 16 years old, driving to his house. Uh, he comes from single parent home. So it's just his mom. His dad had been in prison basically like his whole life. So he has no relationship with his dad. He, yeah. um, mom is, addicted to alcohol, addicted oh. to some drugs. She's got some mental health issues and, and he has a younger sister there too. Yeah. So I remember walking in and sometimes I'd say hi and, and all that. And I remember just leaving one specific time and thinking like, man, like what hope does a kid like this have? Right. 
right. if it's not for, I think, a community of Christians really just pouring into him and, you know, believing in him, saying, man, like, you have a future. You've right. got a bright future. You, yeah. um, you don't have to repeat. You don't have to be in prison like your dad. You don't have to be addicted to drugs like your mom. And so, yeah. so that kind of um, propelled me forward on this journey where I was like, what would it look like if I actually devoted all of my time into helping kids just like him? And, uh, and so I took a big leap of faith and stepped out of I, what I felt was a, a place I could spend my, my ministry career. It's a fantastic church. I'm still part of the church. Mm-hmm. But I thought in my mind, there's going to be a lot of people kind of lining up for that role. They could probably do it way better than I could. But I don't know how many people are lining up to say, I want to go work with uh, tough kids and I want to go raise support fully. <laughs> and right, so right. it was a big step, big step of faith, but we ended up doing it. I worked uh, with Youth Unlimited for about four years and we planted a youth center in a community that was a real high, high risk community. And man, did we ever see some amazing stuff happen. Kids come to know Christ, kids yeah. getting holistic care, um, family, we worked with families. So it was really cool. Um, and then, like, I guess to, to jump back to the question about Youth Rise is, like, I kind of had, again, that kind of unsettling feeling <clears throat> that I need to be doing more. And in the capacity with the organization I was in, I felt like my vision and dreams were maybe a little bigger than they, they wanted to, to tackle at the time. So there's that other question again. I have to take a step of faith. Um, yeah. I have to just, yeah, just walk out. And so I did We and decided to start our own charity working specifically with high-risk youth uh, in Edmonton and yeah. uh and so, based yeah so tell me what a high-risk youth is because um you know cause maybe an overprotective parent is like oh you know everything's high risk for my youth yeah like what what would you describe as a high-risk youth and what's maybe the target audience of youth rise then for sure so I think um you know it, it, there's a there's definitely a spectrum here so you could talk about a high-risk youth that is uh, kicked out of their home uh, on drugs and mm-hmm. in living in um, some sort of homeless shelter for youth, right? That, that right. would be a high-risk youth. And that sometimes is where our mind goes, which... Well, that's where my mind goes. Yeah. Like a, a student living on the street, 14-year-old guy or girl. For sure. But I think like it goes back to maybe, and that is, that totally can be that. And that really is not even who... Like there are a lot of fantastic organizations working with those types right. of kids. Uh, I feel in some ways we're not even really fully equipped to work with those types of kids because yeah. there's a lot of stuff. But yeah. when we talk about high-risk youth, we talk about what are some of the risk indicators um, that are going to potentially create a kid like that down the road. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, you go into a community and essentially if there is like overwhelming poverty in a community – that's that's a, a risk indicator for for a young person that I look at it as like maybe they're they start life maybe 10 steps back right right maybe they're in a single parent home um, maybe mom's working three jobs to support the family so guess what they're they're alone a yeah. lot of the time so yeah. that's a risk indicator yeah. uh, another risk indicator would be like uh, is there is there gang activity in the area is that Ooh. that's a bit of a pull because um, a lot of times young people are targeted for that kind of stuff. Uh, so there's there's a lot of these things, and like uh, the other thing too is sometimes cultural barriers uh, can be um, a bit of a, a step back. If mom doesn't really fully understand uh, like English, it's maybe a, a second language. She's learning it. Yeah. It's tough to be able to come home and ask mom, 
you know, questions or ask for help with homework. Uh, so things like yep. that. So there's a yep. lot of risk indicators. So we always look at it. We're like, you know what? There are handfuls, handfuls of, of, of these communities in every city, not just Edmonton, but in every city where you could say, you know what, I'll, I'll tell you probably what will come out of there in, uh, in 10, 20 years, which, yep. uh, if, if not, if there's not some intervention done with like wraparound support yeah. and mentorship and people believing in kids and actually like speaking life over them too, yeah. speaking blessing over them because they've probably heard curses a lot of their lives. Right. And so that's kind of what we endeavor to do um, to be that, that piece of, of intervention and redirect kids who are maybe walking on the precipice. What do you think, like, what are some of the programs? So you, you've identified some indicators um, you know, anything with loneliness, that's, you know, obviously that is a big epidemic right now. Uh, you know, some like UK is calling it, you know, a health crisis. Mm -hmm. We've got kids at home for hours and hours. Anyways, you list up. So what are some of the things that Youth Rise is going to do? You're planting this ministry. I know it's in your heart to grow it. Who knows where it'll go from there? You want to mm -hmm. multiply yourselves, I'm sure. Absolutely. But what are what are some of the programs? What are some of the things that you're gonna spend your time doing to help meet some of these needs? Yeah. So I think that maybe <clears throat> during my time at uh, the other organization, I felt like uh, the easy thing to do is just to open up a space, create a space, and it, it almost, in a sense, kind of becomes a youth group for yeah. troubled kids. Yeah. And to me, that's not that's not in any way what what I wanted this to be. Um, you learn, I learned a lot, like, like you, you fail in life and you learn and you fail again and you learn. And so we found kind of what not to do, how, what, how, how not to reach these types of kids. But then I kind of felt like, um, you know, everything's done through, obviously through the lens of, of Christian ministry. So that's our, our burning passion, obviously, is to get young people to know Jesus and to, to have fulfillment and all that. But I remember thinking like, if I do that, I guess, great, we can have these great experiences and kids can come to know Jesus. But I kind of felt like, you know, at the end of the day, when they're done high school or out of our programs, if they have nothing in their tool belt uh, to kind of right. move on to life, like w you kind of set people up for, for failure in a sense. So we want to really program in a way that's going to mm. bring wraparound support um, and actually give ki kids applied skills. So we want to really tackle uh, a lot of things like job preparation. So yeah. resume building. I like that. Um, so a lot of times kid, they don't have computers, they don't have uh, printers at home. And so a lot of time, maybe they don't get help at home. I remember when I wrote my first resume, I went and asked my dad, "What? A, hey, can you help me with this? <laughs> yeah. A lot of times that's a luxury that, that kids don't have, right? Okay, that, that, like just, you just said that it's a luxury to have an adult in your life that yeah. can help you with these things. Because you're bumping into kids all the time that don't do that, even as you know, small as a resume. Where do they go for a yeah. resume? So I love that. What else are you guys doing? 100%. So resume building. And then we actually like are running kind of a, we, our desire is to run a mini course so that, you know, whatever, four weeks, you can come in, get a resume. You actually get inter or get kind of taught by local business leader and say, hey, you want to come do an interview? Here's what I expect. These are the things that you need to do. Here's how you need to look at me. Here's how you need to dress. Right. All right, those right, things. Right. Beyond, you know, all the things. And then at the end of the at the end of that little mini course, and we'll do a bunch of them. Yeah. That they have an opportunity to potentially because we want to connect with local business. We've already, we've already done that um, to have an opportunity to maybe get a shot at an early entry employment position. Yeah. And so we find again, like confidence is 
plummeted in some of these neighborhoods. They don't, they don't see hope, right? So they don't see a bright future for themselves. But if you can inject some hope, Love that. man, it can change everything. So yeah, the tutoring, we want to do tutoring as well. Yeah. Again, tutoring is a luxury. It really is. Because yeah. sometimes it, it costs money. And so it's like, yeah, their teachers can only do so much, I think. And yeah. so if we can offer some free tutoring to a lot of these kids, yeah. that's something we're excited about. Um, sports programs, yeah. uh, so free. We often run into kids that are 14 years old, never played organized sports in their lives. And partly because, you know, the $200, $300 fee is just too much for their family. Yeah. And so we find like sports are such an integral way to disciple kids and to just get in their lives. And build friendship build and friendships. community. Um, all sorts of, you know, feeding programs will, yeah, like kids don't eat really. Sometimes they don't eat all day right. and they need something. So a lot of stuff like that in, in conjunction with, right. uh, you know, very intentional safe space. We want to start drop-in centers, be hubs in the community yeah. really. Yeah. So rather than them come to us all the time, we can use the hub to go out to schools and to go run programs. Yeah, and love areas. this. So, love this. Love your heart. Love your passion for it. Now you've been in the game quite a long time. So you've seen like cycles, like you, you were at uh, Hope City for six mm -hmm. years. So that's one full cycle yeah. of students. So you've seen a cycle go through and then you've been working, uh, you know, in the community doing, uh, you know, work with high-risk teens. I, I guess the question rolling around in my head is what happens if we don't do this? Like what happens if we just leave it. You've seen a full cycle go through, not, like not a full generation, but yeah. you've been in it long enough, almost 20 years, I'm sure. Um, not, I'm not quite that old, but <laughs> 12, 12, 12 years. years. Okay. Yeah. I've so got 12 some years. Yeah. You've got some, you've got some street cred. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> what, what if, what if we don't do this? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's something that it's a future that's to be determined, right? And I think that it's on us as believers to to rewrite futures, really, yeah. to say like, well, left alone, man, you want to talk about societal impact? Like yeah. you're going to, not only from a like financial point of view, you're going to pay money in uh, mental health resources, in, you know, in prison, yeah. pay money for police and all that stuff, mental health problems. So I think... Um, from that perspective, yeah, it's going to cause a lot of damage. And then the other thing, too, is that, like, you can actually, it's just going to be cyclical. So someone grows up right. in a certain situation, and they oftentimes revert back to what they know. Um, that's just, even no matter how hard they might say that they won't. Um, so so we're kind of really, like, just driven by this. Uh, a lot of research recently has, has come out about trauma, childhood trauma. Okay. And uh, how, I mean, childhood trauma can affect you well into your adult years not only like societally but like from a physical point of view it's just it does so much damage the toxic stress but then a lot of this like the studies which is done by i don't know it's called the aces study and anyone can go look it up it's so fantastic but uh the if if a kid or a young person has at least one caring adult or stable adult in their lives we kind of chatted about yeah. this earlier yeah if they have one stable caring adult in their lives it can help mitigate so much of the uh wow. later effects of trauma and to me i just think that's the gospel kind of come to life yeah um and it's, it's like scientific evidence backing it up so kind of our mandate is to be like who there's all these kids out there and they need the one they need who's the one stable adult that's going to be in their lives and yeah. that's something we want to provide in addition to all of the um wraparound support so i think that yes 
communities are going to be worse off if we don't do anything. Yeah. Um, education system is going to be worse off. But I feel like I mean, maybe I'm, I have very lofty goals, but I'm like, mm-hmm. I want to make a difference, not only in individuals' lives, in their yeah. families' lives, but also communities. I'd like to see in 20 years communities be changed because of right. some of the work that we started, but also propelled other groups to kind of do similar work. Yeah. And so that, yeah, that's what drives me. I think the cycle piece is huge. Yeah. Like if Jesus doesn't get in and break the cycle, people will just continue to repeat, like you said, what they know. Absolutely. And it's not like, I think so often people, they they get labeled, some of these kids, but it's not, it was never their choice. Right. It was never anyone's choice to be, you know, told they're worthless or right. to be told that, uh, yeah you know, to have a mom or a dad that's addicted to drugs. And the other thing too, is it's not some of the, a large majority, actually, probably the families are very, very, very good families. I think that's also a uh, preconceived notion that people have about high risk kids is that right. it's all terrible parents using Poor, drugs. Yeah. poverty. Oh, just pull up your bootstraps and work. But yeah. you're, I, I think that people need to understand that they're, they're really trapped. Like sometimes they're, yeah. they're living life, just survival mode. And yeah. so when you're in survival mode all the time, um, it can it can have it can have undue like effects on on young yeah. people and so so yeah. how does the local church get involved with this because I've talked with youth pastors and other leaders at times that uh, once they start reaching out I did this when I was pastoring youth pastoring we had kids from the community come all the time and they they're not used to sitting through services and they're not used to behaving in a way in public, uh, maybe they don't uh, understand all of the the maybe church culture stuff that, that goes on, and they can be disruptive, and they can bring some of their mess with them, and so it, you know, it, it creates tension in the church sometimes because it's like, what do we do with them? Yeah. You know, let's, it'd be better for us to do something outside the church so we can, but that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is about bringing those who have found Christ and those who haven't found Christ together yeah. in community and find a way to move forward. But you you experienced some of that. Um, some of those some of those kids coming and bringing their stuff with them. So, what advice would you give to new churches that are planting churches that exist right now? What kind of churches do we need to be to embrace these high risk? Mm-hmm. Uh, teenagers and students. Yeah, that's a good, that's, I could talk for hours about this. Um, first of all, I just want to say, yeah, like I love the local church. Um, I'm still very involved in our church. Uh, yeah. Because I think what happens maybe sometimes is that there becomes this dichotomy, right? Between, yeah, your I don't parachurch know, yeah, and your like, existing church. But like, we're all the church. When have I even, I feel like I haven't even used the term parachurch for years. I consider yeah. ourselves like an, an outreach ministry. Yeah. We are not the church. We totally understand that. But at the same time, we feel like without the local church and without just a, a holistic handshake, basically, yeah. we we die. Yeah. And I think that the local church, in a sense, needs groups also like us willing to maybe go and do some things that they not only don't want to do, but they just, they can't necessarily pour the amount of right. energy. Right. So all that to say, I look, the, how is a local church going to be effective? Um, it has to be missional. Like if you, if you are right. not um, missional in your 
like kind of seeking those outside the church. If you're if you're focused on right. caring for those just in the church, this thing will it'll blow up. And not only for high risk kids, but for any outsider that comes in, I think you're gonna have a real problem. And then when we talk about um, so missional, but also attractional too, like yep, they there has to be a, a landing point for some of these kids to go to that they want to be at, you know? Yeah, like, that's bigger, a place that's bigger than themselves or even their problems totally. sometimes. Like and just getting around other people that are like championing them, cheering them on. And yeah, 100%. So that, and it doesn't have to be big, giant church because no. some giant churches do do things really well, youth programs, but it could be a small church that does it really well. So I'd say it has to be some appeal factor, but um, we've... <laughs> They have to also know what they're, yeah, what they're biting into, <laughs> yeah, because it's sometimes a tough thing to chew. So when you talk about exactly that thing of like, they sometimes they're disruptive. Sometimes they maybe yep. here's the the best way that I can put it maybe is that um, when I was a youth pastor, I would I would preach a sermon or whatever, do something, preach a sermon, and kids, a, a group of kids would come up to me just like, oh. That, like that that spoke to me so much like yeah. and in your mind you're kind of like oh man i'm killing it here because like <laughs> you're getting reciprocation right um when i moved over into the the other realm sometimes man you'd be working for months years sometimes with kids and they're giving you nothing and i think a lot of it has to do with like if they're not used to something like yeah they're not used to someone coming in and and caring so intentionally about them it's, it seems kind of weird and it takes longer there's yeah. a maybe emotional intelligence is not fully developed whereas with yeah. some middle class upper middle class kids that have good parents it's there and it fully develops so they're going to reciprocate and say thank you you yeah. know yeah so i feel like you you have to kind of have tough skin yeah some thick skin yeah and you have to keep a, a real soft heart as well yeah um but yeah so some of the churches i think that that we have partnered with that have been just fantastic. There's been two in particular that we were saying, number one, what's the prerequisite? They have to, they have to want the kids there. Right. And number two, they have to be ready to handle them. Right. Yeah. So, um, and, and we had great partnership with two churches as we expand and grow around the city. Um, we're going to have partnerships with multiple churches, but those two factors I think have to be there. Um, they have to want them and they have to be able to handle them. And so, and a lot of that is not just the youth pastor or the leadership team. It's, it's ingraining that into the, to the young people that are in your group to be missional. Hey, yeah, you actually go to school with a lot of these kids. Especially the, including the student leaders or the kids in your youth group, like they got to welcome them. There were times I remember kids from the community would come and they would, they would just sit on the side and with their three or four friends that they brought and they would bring their friends more than anyone else. They loved bringing their friends, but it was like the existing kids wouldn't reach out. There has to be also some teaching like, hey, this night isn't about you. Like it's about youth, but it's also about inviting people into the story of Christ through your life. 100%. Right? And so there has to be that opening. And you have to see what is the future that you want and you have to be able to, to see it and then apply it right so yeah. if there's these kids coming and there's whatever smoking weed outside yeah and they're being disruptive and all that you know what and it's not only like a pipe dream like i've i, I could imagine it i've seen it happen right. so that those kids could be probably our city's greatest menaces right in <laughs> you know in 10 20 years or or the greatest most influential leaders but 
how are you going to make a difference in, in changing their That's narrative? That's a great thought. And so I can just think of one student, one of many, but one guy who's, I mean, now planting a church uh, in Winnipeg. And yeah. the, his name's Mark Roslin. First time he shows up, uh, he shows up to a basketball drop-in we're running. He's yeah. 15 years old. So yeah, just an absolute punk. Like, <laughs> I almost kicked him out because he's swearing. He's like, and he <laughs> wouldn't stop. I'd be like, no, no, no we don't, we're, we're trying, like, we're in a church. Don't, like, just don't use that word. He's dropping F-bombs all the time. So, but you know what? The guy started to continue to come out to basketball drop-in. Then he started transitioning kind of to the youth group. And then yeah. actually, like, the people embraced him. Loved it. He's rough and he was messy. Came from a very difficult home. Very difficult home. Yeah. Um, very similar to a lot of the other kids we work with. But people embraced him. They loved him. And we just, yeah, spoke a future into his life that maybe he couldn't even see. Yeah. And now he's, like, was a prolific youth pastor like doing things yeah incredible things in winnipeg and now is planting his own church with his wife and it's like i mean there are there are hundreds thousands of more marks out there yeah some we just got to find he, them. he's a fantastic story uh, follow him on instagram and just appreciate it he went through talking about leaders that have impacted and he, he wrote something about you and um that's what it's all about wow yes like, if it's not about this, like, we have to get over the fact for whatever movements we're a part of, so whatever denomination, that the future of our movements is not the next generation kids in our churches. It's actually in the harvest. That's the future. The future is the, the, the kids who, some of our best church planters don't even know Jesus yet. Some of our best leaders yeah. don't even know Jesus. Some Come of our on. best uh, pastors and missionaries and doctors and lawyers yeah. and all of that. Don't Politicians even... who are going to legislate things. They're right. there. They're yeah. out there. They're yeah. out there. And and the harvest is ready, yeah. but the uh, the laborers are few. And so we, so we send them out and we find great stories like him and others that, that, are, that are developing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's exciting. And yeah, the sky's the limit, really. So if you wanted to give some advice, so there's people out there, you know, listening and saying, okay, how do I get something like this started? Like, how do you start a ministry? Like, maybe it's for something else, um, you know, whatever, helping, whatever, you know, you pick the, the ministry you're passionate about. How do you put the pieces together to get this started? Because you're just in the throes of this. Any mm -hmm. advice to people thinking out, out there, wanting to pioneer a new ministry yeah like i mean my i have a firm conviction essentially that as canada changes yeah into maybe what you call a post-christian society um we've got to start being pretty creative i yeah. think and my hope i think the local church is the hope of the world 100 percent um church revitalization is essential church planting is essential yeah, yeah. all those things but there also has to be there has to be things that are spurred on like i mean the holy spirit will will allow you to see something that isn't there yet yeah and and it's up to us to take a step of faith and so if you want to reach people i don't know who said this someone smarter than me if you want to reach might have been me it's probably it was <laughs> more than likely was you if you want to reach people no one else is reaching you have to do things no one else is doing right correct and so for me i was like this is we're gonna do it different we're changing a lot of the structure of, yep. of how Youth Rise is ran. And, and my job is to create, blaze a trail so that others, 
It's not going to be me. It's going to be others doing the work that is, maybe they could do it way better than me. But then, so taking that first step is very, uh, it, it's very hard. There's well, a lot of that fear. first step of faith, you said. It's a first step of faith. Um, first of all, you have to just, yeah, if you're so compelled by a passion and, and God has placed it within you. Okay, stop right there. That's the key. A burden, mm-hmm. a passion inside you that says, I can't do anything else. This is what I need to do. How did that get in you? Yeah, just... just you know, it, it's built over time. Cause I'll also, I, I probably would have thought I would be, you know, in local church and, right. you know, going to different positions, but it, it just, and it partly, a lot of, a lot of it was just, you know, how God just brought us to a certain community. I happened to run into certain kids. I would, I lived in the community actually for a little yep. bit, went yep. like way back and, uh, it just, this thing builds. And so sometimes it's not even naturally there. Yeah. This wasn't naturally there when I came to Jesus when I was 19 years old. I never could have imagined. But as I got exposed to things, as my heart got kind of torn into this, this became so much more real that this is so needed. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things out there for other people. Who knows what it is? Maybe it's ministry to seniors. Maybe it's, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Um, I think that it's kind of like, if you can see something or a people group or yeah. that aren't being reached and then do something about it. Yeah. Like just get, get out and do it. So then we had to take steps. I, do you think I had any idea how to write bylaws? Like yeah. not a clue. Um, so what we did though, is I kind of have learned long ago that, um, that I'm not afraid to ask like very like have a great team and ask people yeah. to help. And yeah. so we, we assembled a team that was so good and instrumental in getting this thing off the ground. So some people that would really help with some of the nitty gritty, because when you're building something from nothing, it can be very scary, right? There's so many I things. Totally and like, if, especially if you're not like geared towards being super administrative, I mean, I'm a visionary and I, yeah. I I'm not wanting to sit in front and, and you know, right re-edit doc, yeah, documents, but, but it's needed to do the risk management piece. It's yep. needed to yep. do the leadership onboarding. It's needed to do your insurance. It's needed. All that stuff is so needed. And so you, yeah, you just do it, but also you can't do, yeah. So you can't do it alone. And the other thing that was very beneficial for me is that I had pre-existing networks. So I probably wouldn't straight out of seminary, yeah. um, say this, this is something that I feel called to and want to do unless I had a church basically funding it because. And that would be a network. Yeah, absolutely. That would be a network. But my strength came in the fact that I pastored for six years. I had the trust of, of people and, and they basically, when I took that step of faith, they took a step of faith with me in, uh, in supporting it. So I think that make sure that you, you have a bit of a network, whatever that could be. Yep. But also that step of faith, because man, you you go through every single scenario. What if this yeah. doesn't work? What if it fails? So what you, if? What if? What so if? you need a team. You need connections. You need to ask for help. Those are important things. I want to come back to one great thought, though. Uh, well, there <laughs> make it sound like you only had one great thought. Just there were one, several. There were several edit, great thoughts. Edit it down to yeah, the gonna, one. Thing. Yeah, the the one big the one big thought that you've had. No, but the the idea that I think sometimes we we think that. And maybe for some, 
this happens, but it's you get a burden at an altar or you know, an altar called a yeah. church or or it's a it's a walk in the mountains and God speaks to you and then you know alters the course of your life or it's a it's a you know it's a one this it's a one that and then all of a sudden and we're looking for that maybe you know the story of Moses that burning bush moment where everything changes but I like actually how you said the passion in me was built yeah the burden in me was built I think there's some people out there going man I, I'm starting to feel some passion build in me but but I haven't had this epiphany this big moment but it actually gets built and then yeah. at some point you have to take the step of faith there's no like there's no engine i've ne- I haven't had an angelic visitation <laughs> that tells me hey you need to do this and go ye this way do not turn to in, the left or the in right. old english as well <laughs> yeah yeah well it's it's true and i think that god no matter where you go i mean obviously you have to be doing what's biblically right but no yeah. matter where you go god god is with you course and is it gonna it will not be smooth sailing more than likely it'll be probably you'll continuously have to think back to why why am i doing this and and lean on god's strength but man like you i just feel so often fear just grips us yeah i think yep and uh fear of a multitude of things but if you feel something building in you and it might be it might kind of seem crazy but like just continue to I don't know, just imagine the what ifs, right? Yeah. What if, dot, 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 yeah. what if, you know? And so, and that can, and then you start to see connections. Like we, we want to bring things that are valuable also to the community. So we're not in opposition of yeah. the social workers or the police or the schools. It's like you, you, and that was built into me because I didn't know, I, I didn't know those things before, what the needs were, but now I'm, I'm learning and I'm starting to know. Yeah. And then the, the chasm of need becomes, I think, overwhelmingly clear. As you yeah. get to know and study a culture and study yeah. things. So, yeah, if you got a burden, then just explore that. What does that look like? What yeah. could it look like? And, and then the opposite, I think, would be true. If you don't have a burden, you probably don't want to tackle something like this because you'll end up quitting too soon. Yeah, you'll burn out. You'll burn out. So, but there, but yeah, pray for the burden, ask God to give it to mm-hmm. you. I believe he will. Just as we finish up any resources that you could offer, any books that you think would be helpful, understanding Gen Z, high risk teens, um, just anything you'd have, you're kind of more of the expert than, than me on this, but any thoughts? Oh boy. Well, honestly, Kay, I, I kind of feel like if, um, if anyone wants to really fully understand uh, doing trauma-based outreach. It's actually uh, a film, a documentary that uh, it's not Christian, so there's swearing and there's a lot of <laughs> stuff in there. But it's called uh, it's called Paper Tigers, and it's okay, f- fantastic. So obviously, as a Christian, view it through those lens. But you know what? It is like it is a like catch-all for working with high-risk youth and, and right. how to like understand their trauma when you're working with them. So that's fantastic. Um, book When Helping Hurts is fantastic. The uh, There's another guy that I, I love basically everything he does. He's, his name is Father Gregory Boyles. He's a Jesuit priest. Okay. And he, yeah, he does this thing in LA where he basically asked to go to the, the, the worst area. So they sent him to the highest gang concentrated area in LA. And he started 
basically working with young people and creating jobs. He has this thing called Homeboy Industries. And like every time I listen to this guy, I kind of, um, yeah, tears kind of flow. Wow. But he's, yeah, very different maybe theologically, but the practice is, is fantastic. So yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of things. I think te- checking out uh, ACEs, anything to do with ACEs is, yeah. is very, um, if you've never dealt with high trauma kids before, yeah. just read up on the ACEs study. So aces2high.com is a, a good resource that talks about that to learn that. Um, so, I mean, there's so many things. Yeah, well, that's a great start. Hey, man, thanks for jumping on today and uh, appreciate your, uh, what you're doing. And we, this is a story that we can't wait to come back to. Love it. I'm so excited to see where it goes. And yeah, we, we have no idea, but we have such big dreams. And also not only for our organization, but I hope it, it is a catalyst for, for churches and for right, other organizations yeah. to just see this demographic as, as people to be loved and cared yeah. for and, and also to preach it, their future into existence. So our website is www.youthrise.ca and you can track with us there and follow all our social media and stuff on that. Great. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you.